Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. My name is JJ Jackson. It's so great to have you here with us on the program. If you haven't done so already, please follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a five-star rating and review. It means the world when you do that, and those written reviews the algorithms absolutely adore those, so take the time to do that for us. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils, and you can follow me on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore. As we've been doing the past few weeks, we're taking a look back at the season that just concluded for a bunch of former Duke Blue Devils. 26 guys were on opening day rosters, and again, given that there are 450 players rostered in the NBA, Duke makes up roughly 5% of the entire league. It's a pretty wild stat for our Duke Blue Devils. And so on today's show, we take a dive into Luke Kennard, Grayson Allen, and Marvin Bagley III. And to get us started on today's program, I want to welcome in my good buddy, Andrew Greif of the Los Angeles Times. He covers the LA Clippers, and he joins us here on today's show. Andrew, the time is greatly appreciated. How's your offseason going so far, my friend? It's going, it's going just fine. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be a very... Uh, anticipated season for the, for the Clippers and Luke Kennard next year. So we're trying to get as much rest as we can right now. Yeah, Luke Kennard is one of my absolute favorites to watch in the NBA and at Duke. He played for the Blue Devils for two seasons. I'm very biased because I'm left-handed, so I just love uh, to watch him shoot the basketball. Tell me about the year that just ended for him. Well, it started with him being called a fake lefty by Justice Winslow, right. um, <laughs> kind of Duke on Duke crime. Um his justice was poking fun that, as you know, as I'm sure every Duke fan knows, you know, he only shoots the ball lefty. He's a natural righty. So, um, you know, even when he went, Luke had his jersey retired at his Ohio high school in Franklin. And that was in midseason. And I talked to someone there who said that, oh, yeah, he played, he was a great, great quarterback for us, right handed. <laughs> uh, so, as we know, that the kind of that's the stuff of the story starts with Luke, um, you know, extremely talented, obviously with multiple hands. And this season for him, I think, was really about can he put it all together? Can he get comfortable in the way that he wasn't always his first year with the Clippers within the offense? Sort of having the confidence to know he's a focal point of the offense at times. Um, Luke is uh, deferential to a fault, as Ty Lue has said, Coach Ty Lue. He even said that, you know, when Luke um, feels as though he's being unselfish by, by hitting the open man, by passing it, Sometimes that is selfish because you want your 45% three-pointer to shoot the ball. That's going to give you a better chance than maybe somebody else who's open. So I think this year, for the most part, that was a mission accomplished um, for Luke Kennard was he really felt more comfortable and I think kind of understood that um, you know he, he has equal weight within the offense to, to choose when he wants to shoot. Yeah, you're talking about Luke Kennard, one of the best shooters in the entire league. He's playing with great players alongside Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard. And granted, Kawhi didn't play this last season, but it's kind of wild that they're emphasizing shoot the basketball, whether it's in Detroit or the Clippers the past few years. Like, he's a great shooter, and it's awesome to see that carried over to the league. It, in training camp last year, the Clippers had training camp in San Diego at San Diego State. Um, obviously, Kawhi didn't take part, but he was – He's watching some of it. But on one of the days, one of the early days, Coach Ty Lu stopped practice and, you know, directly told Luke, you need to shoot. You need to shoot. He had passed up a shot. 
Um, that's something, again, he got better at throughout the year. But there again, there were times even late in the season, the last half of the season, where Ty Lue again would say, you know, you'd ask him what he thought about the previous game. And he'd say, well, I looked at the film and Luke passed up several shots. You know, he can't be doing that. So they really, again, um, I think that some of that times that messaging is internal, right? It's telling a guy within the locker room, we have confidence in you. And that happened. Both Luke, they love him so much. And sometimes they can get frustrated that he's not taking advantage of his full arsenal. But they'll go public with it and say, Luke, we need you to shoot. We need you to shoot. Um, and again, I, last year, he's the most accurate three-point shooter in the league. Uh, you know, among qualifying players at 45%. Um, I think he really cemented in a year where there wasn't Kawhi playing and Paul George was largely out of the lineup. And it was a time for pretty much everybody else in the rotation to develop and improve so that when this year's, uh, you know, title ambitions resume, that they'll have a, a stronger rotation throughout. I think that was very much the case with Luke. Um, and I don't, I don't think that one point uh, speaks to that any more than their comeback from 35 points down in Washington in late January, where he hit the three pointer and his foul, the game winning shot, um, kind of an unbelievable shot. Uh, he even had his hands over his face like this in the post game press conference, you know, he's covering his eyes because he just couldn't believe it. And I think that um, that gave him a, 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 even more confidence than he already had. What does next year look like then for Luke Kennard? You mentioned all the great players returning to the lineup for the Clippers, what, what does it look like for him? Well, I mean, it looks like the Clippers have just as much confidence in him. And, you know, there was um, on NBA draft night in June, uh, there was a report that it suggested that, you know, the Clippers were looking to move him. Um, and I sort of, you know, reached out to some sources and just trying to gauge whether how true it was. And, and it was immediate um, from the various different people I spoke with that absolutely not. We have heard nothing like that. Like they and even, Lawrence Frank, the team's president of basketball operations, was asked about it uh, at a press conference after the draft. And he said, we love Luke. We like we think he's right in the middle of his development curve. He has so much still to do. I think that comment, you know, obviously we know about his shooting. I think that comment had a lot to do with the way um, his playmaker aspect has been sort of talked about a lot as the potential for him to act, you know, maybe a little more with the ball in his hands. Um, I, I think that was something that coming out of Detroit, people thought was a little underrated. That he did there the potential was the possibility was there for more for him we didn't really haven't really seen that happen a whole lot he's just been you know that guy who's been so valuable as a spot up but i think there is still that part of his game that can be unlocked um it might be harder to do it this year when you have norman powell likely coming off the bench a great ball handler you know you know is john wall going to be coming off the bench you have reggie jackson obviously you have high usage players Kawhi leonard and paul george so um, it probably will be more likely that he's the guy who's catching and shooting um, with other guys making those plays, but I don't think we should necessarily overlook that aspect of his game. And catching and shooting is something that he does really well, so he should feel comfortable with that game plan moving forward. Andrew, the time is greatly appreciated. Myself and all the Duke fans out there will definitely be following along to make sure uh, we're up to date on, on what Luke Kennard's doing at the next level. How can we follow you and find your work? Yeah, and, and just thanks for you know allowing me to talk about it, Luke. Um, it, first of all, I work at the LA Times, so just follow me, you know, latimes.com. Go to sports, go to Clippers. You'll find all my work there. I'm also on Twitter, at Andrew Greif. That's G-R-E-I-F. Thanks for the time today, Andrew. We'll do this again soon. Thanks so much. That's Andrew Greif of the LA Times joining us here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Grayson Allen and also discuss Marvin Bagley III in this upcoming season. 
Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a brand new flavor. It's delicious. It's the indulgent cookie dough. That's right. A new flavor. Cookie dough chunk puffs are coming to Built Bar. 15 grams of protein in them and only 160 calories. Try these out. Go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15. Built Bar is a proud sponsor of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. And we're back on Locked On Blue Devils. JJ Jackson alongside my good buddy Kane Pittman. He is one of the hosts of the Locked On Bucks podcast as we continue our Duke in the NBA season preview and review. Kane, thanks for the time. It's good to hear from you and uh, good to have you on the show today. Well, it was good. We had a Duke player on the Bucks, so we can actually we can actually do this this offseason. So that's no, no trouble at all. Yeah. So a year ago, August 2021, the Milwaukee Bucks acquired Grayson Allen as he played this past season for the Bucks, played for the Memphis Grizzlies, and has also spent time with the Utah Jazz in his NBA career. When the Bucks acquired Grayson Allen, what did you know about him? What kind of expectations did you have for him? I think for the most part, it made a lot of sense. So they traded a second round draft pick in Sam Merrill, who was a shooter, but was never really going to play in this Bucks team that's trying to contend. So I think that for the most part, of course, I, personally, I couldn't care less about, you know, the Wisconsin, that whole situation. So first of all, there was some uh, negativity, shall we say, from Bucks fans on social media and those types of things. But uh, ultimately, to me at least, the Bucks were getting a guy that they were going to be able to play every single night, uh, no worries at all, and he would fit the offense. So I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great trade for the Bucks. Yeah, no, I mean, I uh, it was funny that you bring that back up to mind because anytime you could celebrate a Duke national championship is a good thing. <laughs> and his performance as a freshman, the least kind of heralded guy on the team, his freshman season to emerge the way he did against Wisconsin, I forgot all about that. But there were some Bucks fans that might have been a little salty now that they were going to have to root for Grayson. Tell me about the season that he just had. How good was he for Milwaukee? Well, he was great. It probably finished on a sour note. We can get to that in the postseason. He really did not have a good series against Boston when the Bucs uh, lost in seven games. But I mentioned a guy that could play every night. He started 61 games. So he played in 66 games, which is the most he's played in any NBA season. Started in 61 of those, played 27 minutes a night, which was also a, a career high for him. So uh, he just slotted in. The Bucs have been looking for that fifth starter. And if you think about who's been that guy in previous years, Malcolm Brogdon a few years ago has done it. Wesley Matthews has done it a little bit. But ultimately, they just want a guy that can stand on the three-point line and knock down a bunch of open threes, which we know Grayson Allen is certainly capable of doing that. He shot over 40% from three. 66% of his shots were threes. So he was really doing nothing else. Occasionally, he'd put the ball on the floor and drive to the basket, but rarely, most of the time, he was just shooting open threes and he did it at a really high level. It's crazy to think about that. Two-thirds of his shots were from the outside. And uh, obviously at Duke, we saw him with the ability to put the ball on the floor. Uh, You hate to throw out kind of what you look at when you first see Grayson Allen. You're not expecting him to be this sort of freak athlete that he is. But from time to time, he is capable of going and rising to the rim and slamming home a dunk. When you think about the Bucs, to remind my Duke listeners, going into this past season, they're coming off an NBA championship. And Grayson Allen as you said, ends up starting 61 games for the reigning NBA champs. 
pretty surreal that he was able to step into that level of play at this early of his career. Yeah, when you talk about the reasons why he probably didn't get to the rim as much as he could, because you're exactly right, he can do that. And there was moments where he did it, and you're like, okay, why don't we see that more? But basically, because you've got Giannis on the floor, you've got Chris Milton on the floor, you've got Drew Holiday, so the, the opportunities for him to have the ball in his hands mostly just came in those catch-and-shoot uh, scenarios. But he was the perfect guy for him. He's not a great defender. And ultimately, that's why later in the season, uh, Wesley Matthews came in. Obviously, Wes Matthews is a little bit older, so I think that they probably wanted to preserve his body a little bit more through the regular season. So Grayson's only 26. He can start and play big minutes through the regular season. So uh, I think there was times during the year where they had to tell Grayson to shoot a little bit more. Don't defer. You're out there. We want you to score. We want you to be that guy that can do that. So I think it was probably a learning experience. I would say he's probably going to be better this season after having one season with these guys. And I actually expect we've... Uh, spoken about it a lot on Locked On Bucks recently. Who's going to be the fifth starter this year? Because there's a few different options. Pat Connaughton and there's another guy that could potentially start. Uh, but I tend to think that it'll be Grayson Allen. Uh, I, I think that he'll come straight back into that starting lineup for the for opening night uh, for the regular season and and be a major player again. What gives you that confidence? What makes you think that Grayson Allen can improve going into his second season with the Bucks, Is it just a level of consistency knowing the guys he's playing out there on the floor with, or have you seen something else? Well, I think it's always interesting with guys that play with Giannis because we get the chance to ask them, what what is the difficulty or, or what's the challenge of getting accustomed to playing with, with Giannis? And it's just the different angles that he'll pass you the ball. He's a seven-footer. He's going downhill. He'll throw no-look absolute bullets right at your face. And, and so the, all these guys that are shooters say that, it just takes you a while to get used to playing alongside Giannis. And I think, obviously, he had a whole season and, and he probably uh, became pretty comfortable. Uh, but he knows what his role is in this team. He knows he's going to, again, in my opinion, probably come in and start. And I think he would have learned uh, from the postseason. He was great against uh, Chicago. He averaged over 20 points per game in the final three games of that series and basically could hardly miss. And, again, he was the villain in Chicago because of the Alex Caruso incident. And this man just loves being the villain. And it, it just doesn't bother him. He, he, he kept on knocking down shot after shot. Against Boston, he got picked on a little bit defensively. So I think he'll be better for that as well. Uh, another season with these uh, Milwaukee coaches that have historically been really good at developing guys that previously haven't been known as great defenders. Bobby Portis is one of those players. So I just think there's a lot of room for improvement. And again, as you pointed to, he's still only 26. He's only been in the league three seasons, three, four seasons. So... I think uh, I think you'll be better for that. Kane Pittman's with us. He is the host of Locked On Bucks, uh, talking to us all the way from Australia. You can notice it in the accent. How are you a Bucks fan? Tell me that story. Yeah, so I uh, well, I liked Ray Allen originally, so we're going back quite a while ago, <laughs> uh, quite a while ago there, um, and that was how I sort of found the NBA. There wasn't a lot of NBA coverage in Australia at the time. So I was like, Ray Allen's pretty cool. I like this team. Let's, let's watch this team. Now, they were playing pretty good basketball then. I didn't know they were going to be awful for the next 15 years. <laughs> but that's the way it played out. But they've also had a bunch of Australians on the team. Andrew Bogut was with the team. Uh, Matthew Delvedova, Thon Maker, so, and now Joe Ingles. So there's been a, a history of, of Australians on the team. And then I ended up moving there, and I lived in Milwaukee for uh, three, four years as well, and I was able to cover the team um, up close you know, prior to the pandemic. So... Yeah, I, 
I didn't know that whether I'd still be doing this podcast. I've been home since COVID now, so I've been doing this podcast for another two years from home, which is a little bit strange, uh, but keeps me busy. So I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about some of the Duke guys from Australia over the years. We just mentioned a lot of coverage from Summer League. We saw Jack White get an opportunity to run with the Nuggets and earn himself an NBA contract with the Denver Nuggets. And then Tyrese Proctor is about to start his freshman year at Duke. Tell my listeners your thoughts on both Jack White and then Tyrese Proctor. Yeah, we'll start with Jack White. So he actually played, so I'm based in Melbourne, and he played for uh, Melbourne last year in the Australian League, uh, coming off a ruptured Achilles. And, you know, I've spoke to him a, a number of times, you know, sitting in his time in Melbourne. We would talk you know, once a month or, or do an interview or whatever it is. And uh, he was telling me before he came back from this Achilles injury that he thought he was more athletic than he was before. And as you know, your listeners will know, he's, he's an athletic guy. He's a big guy, but he can really jump. And uh, he was right. He looked better, like straight away. I you know, to come back from an Achilles injury and play the way he did defensively, he's he's awesome. I think offensively, he was still trying to figure it out uh, through the season, but he dominated for Australia in World Cup qualifiers last month. Uh, they they were playing a bunch of games there, and then just went straight over to Denver and he just plays basketball. He's not going to be a star, but I think what you want from a role player who can defend is an elite rebounder, and again, as athletic as Jack White is, it's it's a pretty good story and. Uh, I'm not sure how many of your listeners thought, you know, he spent his time at Duke. Obviously, he was popular, but you know, didn't play huge you know, minutes over the course of his career. I'm not sure how many of your listeners thought he would get to the NBA, but uh, he's a hard worker. He's continued to work, and it, it's much deserved. Awesome to see Jack White get that opportunity. Uh, known for his outside shot at Duke, knocked down a couple of big threes for the Blue Devils. Yeah. Uh, also wore jersey number 41, which isn't a popular number for Duke <laughs> players to wear, so that stood out in itself. All right, tell me about Tyrese Proctor. He's one of the last freshmen to join the Duke basketball team for this upcoming year and uh, coming a year earlier than people thought he would be. We know he's been playing in the NBA Global Academy and that sort of thing, but give us an idea of who Tyrese Proctor is and what kind of a player he can be. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend to have any clue about the Duke roster this year, but <laughs> but so I don't, I don't know what the expectations are from from your point of sure. view. But what, uh, people in in Australia are seriously excited about uh, this kid. He's, he's following on from Josh Giddy and then uh, Dyson Daniels at the last NBA draft. Two guys that went top ten, and and people think that Tyrese Proctor is is on that talent level. He's been followed for multiple years. This is a guy that people have been super excited about, and again. Australia just went to the Asia Cup that was played in Indonesia, and Tyrese Proctor was a big part of that team. He was one of the first guys that came off the bench, and it was the Asia Cup. So Australia were favorites in every game they played. They were better than everyone there. Uh, but Tyrese Proctor, there was a couple of games where the team looked shaky, and it's just this 18-year-old kid walks out there. He's like, all right, I'll hit a big shot. All right, I'll get to the basket. I'll make a, the, the right uh, play defensively. So... He just looked super calm. He looks super ready. Uh, he and the best thing about him is he doesn't actually have the ball, and he have to have the ball in his hands. He shot over forty percent from three across this uh, window, so he can really shoot it. He can really play make, and like most Australians, he'll defend. So again, I don't know where he projects to to crack into the rotation, but uh, yeah, I, I think he's. I think he got a really really good one. I think he's great. Yeah, I promise you he's going to play a lot for Duke this year. Yeah. Like he, He's definitely going to be a name, and uh, Duke's excited that he is going to come play for a season. 
uh, felt like there could be a chance if he didn't come this year, he wouldn't have gone to college at all. He would have just jumped straight to the NBA. So uh, we're happy to be able to get him to wear that Duke uniform for one season. Kane, this has been so much fun. I want my listeners to check out Locked on Bucks this upcoming year to hear all about Grayson Allen and then also uh, to see the success of some other Australian players uh, this upcoming year. Thanks for the time today, Kane. Anytime, man. And I, I don't watch any college basketball, really. As an Australian, I never had any affiliation to any school. But because of Tyrese, I'll be watching as many Duke games as I can, so I'm excited. That's what we love to hear. Thanks for the time. That's Kane Pittman joining us on Locked On Blue Devils. And welcome back into Locked On Blue Devils here today, J.J. Jackson, alongside my good buddy Kuka Hill of the Locked On Pistons podcast, joining us on the show as our Duke in the NBA series continues. And Koo, as it's well known, Duke loves to put players into the NBA. It feels like you're always going to run into a Duke guy across the league. And Marvin Bagley III, Frank Jackson, both played for Duke this past season. So thanks for taking some time to join me on the show today, friend. Absolutely, man. I like what you're doing. Happy to join. All right, so let's talk about uh, the the Pistons this past year. I want to get to Marvin Bagley the third in just a moment. He just got a payday. He seems to be a part of the Pistons' future plans moving forward. Tell me about Frank Jackson and what he was able to do this last year for Detroit. Uh, Frank Jackson, um, this past season, I would say was pretty disappointing um, from both him and the Pistons side, uh, the Pistons were looking for a little bit more from him. I'm sure he was looking for a little bit more from himself. Um, so far throughout his NBA career, um, he's been very uneven and very inconsistent. Um, he spent his first two years with the New Orleans Pelicans, couldn't really latch on there. Uh, and his whole prototype, his whole archetype is built around the fact that he's supposed to be a great shooter and an overall good scorer. But it just hasn't been true for the majority of his se- of his career. Uh, the two seasons before he joined Detroit, he was shooting at 31% from deep and 32% from deep. Uh, so when the Pistons took a flyer on him in 2020-2021, you know, he that, that was the one year that he actually fulfilled what it was, what it seemed like he was supposed to be in the NBA. Uh, he had an incredible season for the Pistons. He averaged uh, 9.8 points a game. He shot 45% from the field and forty almost 41%. Uh, from deep on 3.8 attempts. So his first season with Detroit had a lot of fans, and including myself, um, very high on him and thought that he would be he could be a legitimate piece moving forward as a pure scorer coming off the bench for the Pistons. Um, I said multiple times last season, or I guess two seasons ago, I should say now, uh, on the podcast, mentioned that I thought he was probably their best pure scorer on the team uh, because of how well he had played for the Pistons. So he ended up getting a, a nice contract with the Pistons. I think it was a two-year, $7 million contract and a team option on the second. Um, and this past season, he just – he dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, he, he was in and out of the rotation because of it. Uh, he, he rode very high highs and very low lows. Uh, he crashed back down from his shooting beyond the arc again. He shot 30% from deep on 5.3 attempts. Um, he did average 10.6 points per game, but his efficiency went way down. Uh, so. I think there's a place in the league for Frank Jackson, but I think the thing I'm worried about with Frank is I think he might be running out of opportunities to re, uh, remain consistent and do what he's supposed to be at the NBA level. I know the Pistons ended up declining his team option, which I, to be honest, was somewhat a little surprised uh, because he was such a cheap option right. uh, and his, his archetype is a shooter and they need shooting. 
Um, but obviously his past season, um, I think the Pistons came away thinking that that first season in Detroit was more of an outlier than it was a con- the consistent norm. And I'm rooting for Frank Jackson. He was a fan favorite. Everyone loved him. He was a super goofy, fun guy. Um, but you know, he has to be. He has to remain consistent. And he has to do what he's supposed to do more consistently if he wants to remain in the NBA. If he can do that, I, I for real think he could be a rotation piece for a playoff team because everyone needs. Uh, a guy who can come off the bench and just get buckets instantly. And, and, and that first year with Detroit, he did that. Second year, whether it was injury or all that, cons- uh, you know, coming into the fact of why he was so inconsistent, that just how it played out. As you know, and, and, and talking about Frank Jackson, Duke has turned into a one-and-done factory, as my listeners certainly know that. So we only got to experience Frank Jackson for one year at Duke before he went and pursued the professional basketball route. And you kind of ran through the career he's had. Definitely known for his fashion off the floor. I saw this season, it looked like Frank was sporting a mustache from time to time, too, uh, which was a really fun look. So uh, I'm with you. Hopefully, again, the Pistons don't look like the option for him this upcoming season. Hopefully, he can find a new home and get another opportunity. Uh, Sneaky athletic, too. I mean, the guy's got some bunnies to him. No, uh, yeah, that was something – that was something for the Pistons that jumped off the radar to us. So I had no clue that I think he had like a 40 inch vertical at the combine his, yeah. his, at the draft combine. I had no clue. And then one game, it was one of his first games. He just rose up and just like threw something down. Like, bro, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that was something you saw again. You saw a lot more of his, his not his rookie season, but his first season in Detroit that he didn't just have outside shooting. He had a pull up mid. He had a good runner. And he could get to the rim and just straight up just jump over or through guys to draw a foul or finish through contact. So uh, the tools are there. The tools are 100% there for him to be a quality NBA player. He just has to put it together and be consistent. Kuka Hill from the Locked On Pistons podcast is joining me here today on Locked On Blue Devils. Our Duke in the NBA uh, series moves on. Last year, Marvin Bagley III was sent from the Sacramento Kings, his first NBA home, to the Detroit Pistons. And this offseason, we saw Bagley III get a brand-new deal uh, with the Detroit Pistons. What, what was it about his play that Detroit decided, you know what, we want to keep this Marvin Bagley guy around? So – Marvin Bagley's very interesting. He's a uh, what's the I guess I, I don't want to say controversial, but he's very. If you talk about Marvin Bagley, you're going to get a very extreme one side. You're going to get a very yeah. extreme the other side. Polarizing, so, yeah. Yes, polarizing. I guess that should be the best word for it. Um, so the thing with Marvin Bagley is, I it's a consistent argument in Pistons in the Pistons fan base and community right now about. Was it really how good Marvin Bagley was for the Pistons? Or was it more about the fact the Pistons were just so much lacking what it was he brought to the table that it made him feel like he was such a a great player? Right. What I believe is it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, he 100% had, I think, what was probably his best season. Or, I mean, he only played like 17 games for the Pistons at the end of the year. So <laughs> I don't want to say a season. Uh, but his, I think probably his best stretch of basketball in his entire career. Um, he played incredibly just consistent offensively. Defensively, he's a completely – he's a pretty big liability defensively. Um, he has a long way to go defensively. He has to become some kind of a consistent defender, at least with, with, with his focus and and his um, team defense. He may never be a good individual defender, but he has to be at least a good team defender and someone who's consistently – 
you know, uh, paying attention to what's going on in that side. But offensively, the dude, if he touches the ball within five feet of the basket, the ball's going in the bucket. Like, he he doesn't miss when he gets close to the rim. If he gets the ball close to the rim, the, it's straight up either you're going to have to follow him and he's going to go to the free throw line, or he's just either going to dunk on you or lay it over you. Like, for the 18 games that he played with the Pistons, he shot 87% around the rim. That's just, like that, – that's insane. He, he has – incredible touch around the rim and not only is he pretty athletic obviously i'm sure you guys would know all of your listeners that he's very athletic he has an extremely talent or I, I don't know if i should say talented but rare second jump that allows him to even when he does miss he just gets it right back and fills it up uh he he is very explosive and the fact that the pistons were lacking such a rim runner and some kind of lob threat for their team the fact that he was able to bring that as soon as he joined the team, he instantly uh, brought insane chemistry with Killian Hayes, uh, great chemistry with Kay Cunningham in the pick and roll. And it's not a coincidence that the Pistons' offense took off. They went from looking like one of the worst offenses historically, not just in the league, just historically worst offenses, to being an okay offense once Marvin Bagley arrived. And that's simply because he provided them that lob threat and he was playing so well within their system that I understand completely why they brought him back. Um, I understand completely why they gave him his deal. Good for him getting his money. Um, we, we don't, we're a little bit uh, edgy with the fact that there's no team option on it or no, you know, way partial guarantee anywhere. Uh, the fact that all three years is guaranteed, but you know, he got his money good for him. Um, definitely a very versatile player offensively. If he can get more consistent defensively and start to improve a little bit on the outside shooting, um, he may never be the second overall pick like he was drafted to be, but he definitely has a future in the NBA as a quality NBA player, and the Pistons are hoping he becomes that for them under this three-year contract. Yeah, the, the one year he played in college at Duke, he shared a front court with Wendell Carter Jr., which looking back on it, it still hurts that, that Duke made it to the Elite Eight and wasn't able to win a national championship with that collection of talent that they had. But that second jumping ability that you're talking about, I vividly remember major like put-back dunks and thing from Bagley uh, that lone season for the Duke Blue Devils, part of the reason why he was one of the best players in all of college basketball that year and turns out to be a top three pick in the draft. Look, it's it's great to see what the Pistons have going on this upcoming season. I would encourage folks to check out Locked On Pistons. My last question for you, bit of a fun one. We've talked about two guys who wore the Pistons jersey this past year, but Koo, let me put you on the spot here. I'm going to throw out a couple of other Duke guys in the NBA, and you just share me funny moments or anything that comes to mind for a couple of these guys, all right? We've got uh, Grant Hill, obviously, is the most iconic former Duke guy that's there. But then you've got somebody like Luke Kennard or Kyle Singler, Mason Plumley. Uh, we even had one year of Christian Leitner. Corey Maggette played a year uh, for the Detroit Pistons. When I looked down, I was like, man, there are, actually are a few more players from Duke that played for the Pistons. Any of those names uh, stick out to you that you were personally a fan of or any funny thing? So I think this question actually is really fun because I think you guys are going to like my answer. So obviously Grant Hill is probably one of the more, most iconic Detroit Pistons of all time, especially yeah. with them bringing back the teal. You can see my hat uh, if you're watching this on the YouTube. Um, definitely one of the most iconic and possibly the most talented Piston ever, um, Grant Hill. So obviously everyone loves him. Uh, Luke Kennard was another one that I was a fan of. I'm still a fan <laughs> of Luke. Uh, he's playing really well for L.A., 
Uh, a lot of fans were very sad to see him traded. Um, obviously, a lot of people remember him as the guy they drafted before Donovan Mitchell, but he started to warm up the fans because, he, you know, if it wasn't for that, he was actually a good player. So a lot of fans really liked him, and his family, uh, you know, interacted with the Pistons fan base on Twitter a lot. They they really loved Luke. So Pistons fans, you won't find many things bad to say about Luke Kennard. But the, the funny story I have to say is Kyle Singler. Kyle <laughs> Singler, I remember being like, I think like 13, 14 when he was drafted to the Pistons. And like, I think it was 13, somewhere around that age. And my stepdad at the time, he was a big Kyle Singler fan. I remember this is before I like got into all this. Obviously I wasn't, I was still trying to be an NBA player. And so, <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. He, I, I don't know if he's going to be that good. He's like, no, cool. I'm telling you, this is like months before the draft. I'm telling you, the Pistons have to draft Kyle Singler. He's going to be a really good player. I'm telling you, yeah, I draft him. And then, of course, fast forward a few months, they get Kyle Singler, and he literally spent the entire summer antagonizing me all summer. Like, I told you, Kyle Singler, <laughs> Kyle Singler. And then he eventually had a good year with the Pistons, too. So I don't know what Kyle Singler is doing nowadays, but I, I'll always remember him because of that. He was a fun player. Trick shot king. I don't know if he was yes. doing that at Duke, but he was a trick shot king. Yes, absolutely. Duke's got a couple of big videos of him taking trick shots all across campus for sure. That's great, man. That's awesome. A lot of good memories. Uh, and again, I would encourage folks to check out Locked On Pistons for all of your great coverage. Koo, I really do appreciate the time. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. That is Koo Cahill, the host of Locked On Pistons, joining us here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils. <laughs> 